This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. And I don't know if it's Fader Meinhof frequency illusion or what, but ever since I've I heard him what say it, mind what a Fader <laughs> Meinhof frequency illusion is like when you hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't think she's speaking English. No, anymore. no, it's real. It's science. Hello, and welcome to a mailbag edition of Dinner SOS. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. We get a lot of questions in our inbox, and we can't always give everyone the full episode treatment. So today, I am joined by my colleague Kendra Vaculin to help dig into some of your smaller, but no less important, dinner emergencies. Hi, Kendra. Hi, Chris. All right. We're getting into it. (laughs) We're just going to start. Zero to 60. Mailbag day. Okay. Kendra, kick us off with this question from Kate. Of course. She says... I love a great craft cocktail, and I've been playing around with them at home to pretty good success. I make a mean Sazerac. I love the classics and twists on them. I love playing with foams. Oh, my God. Like salt air on my margaritas. She says, thank you, Jose Andres. And mixing in interesting flavors like passion fruit and chilies. Lately, I've been using Amaro and Vermouth in my Manhattans, and it's a revelation. Here's my problem. I really love getting creative when it's just me and my husband, but when we start inviting friends over— I feel like, one, my creativity comes off as weird and maybe intimidating, so we just end up drinking wine. Or two, my friends all want different cocktails, so I wind up playing bartender all night and not really enjoying my time. Can you recommend a batch cocktail that I could make ahead and serve as the cocktail of the night? Or something that wows without having to reblend salt air every time someone wants a refill? I'm dying salt air. Wow. So my idea of a cocktail, just so you're aware, Kendra, mm. is like a glass of white wine with an ice cube in it. Oh, cute. Like that's like, that's Chris doing a cocktail. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah. what do you do? Okay, so the the things that I thought of first are the fact that she's now tapping into vermouth and Amaro's in her Manhattans tells me that she has those things. She's comfortable with those things. My go-to cocktail like low ABV drinking for a dinner party cocktail is an Americano, which is vermouth, Amaro, and soda. It is essentially like, it predates the Negroni, Mm. but it is a Negroni with soda instead of gin. Same thing is you could do a Spagliato, which is a Negroni with the sparkling wine. This caused a bit of a stir, right? I feel like I heard this Yes, and now I'm like embarrassed to order a Spagliato at a restaurant because like I get this like knowing look from the server and I'm like, I did this before. Like (laughs) I was here first. Um, But these are great cocktails that you can pre-batch the Amaro and the vermouth portion and just leave the part that is bubbly, whether that's wine, like a Prosecco or a sparkling water to be added 
a la minute, basically, and per person. I like to do a DIY bar of this where the vermouth and the amaro is pre-batched in sort of a carafe or something, and people are pouring that over ice and topping with their soda or Prosecco to choice. Another, like, more, it sounds like she's into more spirit-forward drinks than I am. I love a long cocktail. Yeah, Um, something you can drink all yes. night, you know, drink several of them. Totally. I'm I'm all about quantity. Um, <laughs> but I think something that my partner makes a lot and will batch for parties is a last word, um, which is in the classic cocktail space, but a little bit different and one that maybe people haven't had. And it might require that you have to go out and buy some chartreuse. Um, but it is a fun one and it looks cute and it's nice to have. What is that one? Okay. So it's gin, chartreuse, maraschino liqueur, and lime. It's really cute. It's like a nice color. And this is an easy one to batch ahead of time. And you can put it out in your cute little coops or nicanors or whatever you have and have it out for your party. Is there any kind of rule of thumb in terms of what drinks you can batch and for how long? Mm, Yeah. Drinks that usually would be shaken, you have to put a little bit of water into your batching because the dilution that happens during like a cocktail being shaken with ice, you have to mimic that in your pre-batching. So for example, when people batch a martini ahead of time, you have to add a little bit of water to your mixture and then refrigerate that mixture like all together before you dole it out because you're not going to be getting that slight tiny dilution that you would get from the shaking. So I think anything that's like entirely spirit, anything that's like entirely spirit plus like a juice is is readily batchable. And like margaritas are batchable if you wanted to go that route. I wouldn't leave them for like overnight. For sure. Yeah. With a citrus citrus. does, does, does some funny things. Yeah. I think it's like right ahead of your party if you make a big batch. Um, I have friends who always make mezcal Negronis in a huge bucket. And then that's like part of the party is you're like, you know, ladling out yourself some Mezcal Negroni. Um, But again, that's like 100% spirit. So that's an easy one to do. Mm. Again, I love a soda in a cocktail. Like I love something sparkly. So usually I'll batch everything less the seltzer and then have that happen as you drink. Don't get me wrong. I love cocktails. Love the flavors. Mm. They're like the depth and concentration and expressions of flavor that are possible when carried on the back often, you know, of like alcohol, you Mm -hmm. know, I find like just wildly seductive and compelling, but I can't drink that much of them. Yeah. It just puts me in a bad place. (laughs) You know, I just got to stick to my like white wine with a, with an ice, (laughs) with an ice cube. I think that's okay. Oh, the one I did want to call out because we've been talking about it actually a bunch on staff recently. Um, Hazel from our art department raised this cocktail as something we should cover. The Carajillo is this cocktail that it's like espresso martini goes cooler, if you can even believe it. What? Um, It's like, it's a coffee drink, but it's made with this liqueur. It's called Liquor 43, L-I-C-O-R 43. Oh. Um, And it's this sort of like, spiced, vanilla-y liqueur. And so coffee and that together Mm, makes mm. this, like, incredible drink. And 
I think as an after-dinner cocktail at a party, that could be a really, really fun move and would save you the hassle of having to, like, pull a bunch of espresso shots or whatever you would need to do to make an espresso martini. Because you could use just cold brew concentrate or something. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Okay. We're going to move on. Listener Amanda (laughs) writes— I have a bit of a ridiculous question, but I thought you might be the right people to ask. (laughs) I'm going to take that as a compliment. (laughs) Uh I am looking for a dessert that me and my partner can eat together, but we have some restrictions. I can't eat sugar. I get horrible migraines. And I also avoid dairy and gluten, but I do eat butter. I can eat fruit, honey, agave, coconut sugar in small quantities, but processed sugar really messes me up. My partner is also allergic to all nuts. Sesame is okay. And a lot of the GF baking uh, alternatives use nuts. So it was just too much work to try to experiment to make desserts. We could both eat. Okay. 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 Oh, boy. Okay. I think you should do a mochi cake. I bet you that you could— Can you use all mochi flour? Yeah. That's what I do. 100%? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But— Oh, no, you have to use you have to use honey instead, or agave, or some sort of. You can use an sweetener. invert sugar. I think so. This is my this is my feeling. Results not guaranteed. Results not guaranteed, but I. But think, but we're okay. I think we're you having a conversation. Do a mochi cake using a liquid sweetener, and then you can top it with like fruit. And eggs are okay. Eggs are okay. So that's going to give you so much of the structure that you need in terms of. Like the mochi cake. Mm -hmm. And I feel really good about that. Yeah. Because you could also use coconut milk as like your liquid in the mochi cake. Yes. And butter mochi cake is butter and coconut milk. Yes. And you can have butter. Those are the fats. Guaranteed. We're we're just going to like put a stamp on that one. What about... So last summer, I developed a recipe for a strawberry ice cream pie where you like blitz pretzels and you make like a pressing crust out of it. So what if you use like a gluten-free cookie of your choice and made a pressing crust with that? And then and it's just butter and the and the cookie and that's your pressing crust. And then you use a dairy-free ice cream, not nut-based, but like there's some nice coconut milk or oat milk-based dairy-free ice creams, and that can be your ice cream layer, and then you just put fruit on top. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I'm Like everything I'm going to literally has nuts everywhere. Yeah. Um, there's lots of nuts. Frig. My fridge fudge from some years ago. Oh, yeah, your fridge fudge with avocado. But there's almond butter in there. Oh, oh, oh. What about tahini? Maybe with tahini. Okay, okay, we're back. Okay, fridge fudge from Healthy-ish from 2019, but with tahini. Mm. Yes. I think that could I work. like it. Even the, the Healthy-ish chocolate brownies with tahini as well, while we're on the subject, mm. because you use some cornstarch, cocoa powder as your dry ingredients. Mm. Eggs, sure, but it's otherwise gluten-free. And then your swirl is tahini. There is some sugar in there, though. But maybe it would be okay if you subbed honey. Slash coconut sugar in a small Slash coconut sugar. Wow. Okay, I'm thinking the yogurt story that's coming out soon. Yes, the um, popsicles. The popsicles, which are yogurt and fruit. If you did— Popsicles. Yeah, if you did a 
dairy-free but not nut-based yogurt like um, Anita's coconut yogurt or Coco June. Mm-hmm. I love the coconut-based yogurts. I think they're the best. But there's also like soy milk-based yogurts and oat milk-based yogurts. If you did that as your base, then you like macerate your fruit but with honey um, and then swirl the fruit through the yogurt and then freeze them as pops. I think that could be effective. I love that. I think popsicles are a wonderful direction, mm. just in general. Yeah. You can do a lot of crazy and then freeze it yeah. and be really happy about it. Totally. And you don't need sugar. You would, and in you fact, don't, want it to be liquid anyway, so you'd probably be making a syrup no matter what. You'd be very happy to have, like, a liquid sweetener in there. Totally. Okay. I think we've right, done I it. I hope we helped. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we, sorry. we did sorry. no harm at sorry the very least. That. We're going to take a short break. When we're back, we'll tackle some more of your questions. Did you know that kids eat 1,095 meals every year each? Not even counting snacks. Honestly, being responsible for all those meals kind of sucks sometimes. But we've found a resource that actually helps and is funny too. Didn't I Just Feed You is a weekly podcast about feeding families hosted by two longtime food professionals, Stacey Billis and Megan Splawn. These ladies are not afraid to be candid and get real because as working moms, they know how hard it is to feed a family night after night. They joined me on an episode of Dinner SOS, but their show covers this topic week after week. From how to turn nachos into a legit family dinner to the magic of meatballs, solving the after-school snack problem to the mental load of being the family cook, they talk about it all, offering shortcuts, pro tips, techniques, and recipes along the way. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. New episodes publish every Monday. You can also find Stacy and Megan on Instagram as at Didn't I Just Feed You. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, I'm going to read you our next question from Leah. Leah says, My spouse, Caleb, and I recently moved from our own space in Michigan to a shared house in San Francisco. The roommate culture, not to mention being able to pay rent, is amazing, but sharing a kitchen is somehow more intimate and complicated than sharing a bathroom. We find ourselves often crunched for time and space to cook. And since we both love to cook, it's something we need to adjust to. Can you suggest any recipes that are suited for a shared kitchen situation, whether that means quick prep and cleanup, one-burner wonders, and or minimally obtrusive household smells? Okay. Okay. This is so brave of you to move from your own space into a shared kitchen space. I think I could only have moved in the other direction from a shared space to my own space, and moving back would be a really tough (laughs) beat for me. But I admire your love of the sort of 
collaborative living situation. Um, In terms of ways to minimize your impact in the kitchen, I do think what you could do is watch the episodes of Top Chef where they all have to share like a vacation home kitchen. Not to be whatever, but this was last week on Top Chef. They all like went to like a Verbo house and like had to all cook dinner together We're in one kitchen. We're definitely not calling that VRBO. Sorry. I hate to be the one to tell you this. You're, you always <laughs> manage to correct my pronunciation of things that I'm hopelessly out of it's touch true. on. It's true. I so do do that. Just, and I would have called cool. it VRBO, but character. they just said it on Bravo the other night, and that's okay. how I know. But when watching them do this, you really see, like, how to best execute a meal when, you know, 12 people are trying to cook on the same five burners. Obviously, you don't need us to tell you that uncooked— or plug-in appliance-based cooking is the easiest because you're not going to be fighting over burner space or oven space. Um, But one burner moments are obviously ideal. So I think there's a really fun pasta on the site that is, um, it was a Ali Slagle recipe that was in the magazine a while back when we did a takeover from her book, I Dream of Dinner. And um, the recipe is of a one-pot puttanesca where you use tiny pasta like didalini, and that cooks directly in the sauce that you're making. So you don't have to have a separate burner going with a pot of boiling water to cook your pasta. You just dump the pasta directly in your Dutch oven or what have you where you're cooking like the capers and the tomato and all the other components. And so I think that's a really good one burner moment. The other thing, and this is taken directly from that Top Chef episode, is slow cooking. One guy cooked like slow cooked lamb on like a low, low heat overnight. I'm not advocating that you keep your oven on overnight, but something that can happen during the day, like if somebody works from home and can be at home at the same time and slow cook something, that way when dinner time rolls around and everybody's angling for the kitchen space, you're done. It the slow braise of your choose your meat of choice is completed, and you can be chopping up some red onion and herb and whatever that you want to put on top at the end, make some rice in a rice cooker and call it a day um, without having to fight over stove or oven. Yeah, my brain went to a just like minimize the amount of time you are standing at the stove or need to stand at the stove. And to that end, like you just mentioned a rice cooker. So like a plug-in rice cooker can do a lot for you because you can not only cook rice in it, but you could cook grains. You can even, you know, throw a piece of fish in there on top of like the rice that you've cooked and let it steam through to doneness, you know, if you truly did not have access to the stovetop one night. I think allowing yourself one burner is is smart, you know, from a philosophical approach. And things that like don't require just a lot of time at the stove. So thinking about things like you're not so much doing soup, you're doing stir fry, you know, with like your rice kind of ready to go on the side. You can do a little bit of your ingredient prep elsewhere. You know, you don't necessarily have to cut a pepper, you know, in the kitchen in order to have a validating, like, cooking experience. You know, you could kind of, you could move around um, and not feel like you have to just be, like, standing over the stove and the cooking process can play out very quickly. Um, yeah, this is, um, th- <laughs> this is, I was, like, trying to put myself in the headspace of this. And, like, honestly, at home, I have, like, an alarmingly tiny cooktop 
um, in Philly. I really? mean, it's like, it's a, it's a tiny little, like it's a quote European style kitchen. Ah, sure. It's is like, your fridge dinky too? The fridge conversely is enormous. <laughs> <laughs> we bought it from somebody who, you know, like only really had like charcuterie and champagne in sure, there. Okay. <laughs> Nothing got cooked in that kitchen. So we have this funny little Mila cooktop. Mm. You can't put more than two skillets on it, oh, you know? You're like So every night, I'm sort of like, what am I going to do? My oven mm. is like not full-on easy-bake oven, but it's you it's, can't fit a half sheet in there. Wow. It's quarter sheet only. Chris, wow. No, I know. The stars, they live just like us. Yes. Oh, I'm like more <laughs> like you than you even would imagine. Um, also, I would say pending outdoor space availability and always changing Bay Area weather, I would say grilling, especially as it becomes summer months, might be a move for you. It'll just evacuate you entirely out of the kitchen, and then you can look up recipes where everything that you're doing happens on the grill, so you don't need to venture into the kitchen at all. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody should own an induction burner Mm. that they're able to, you know, either move around within the kitchen if you just need like a little auxiliary cooking space or to just keep a pot of soup warm or something like that. Or you can take it outside. And like rather than the mishigas of like, oh, charcoal or gas or the propane cylinder is empty, you got your burner, you're outdoors, you know. Are you advocating for like a very long extension cord? Just a long extension cord. I mean, like, you know, if only every problem could be solved that easily. Yeah, that's true. with an extension cord. Wow. Okay. All right. So our next listener question is from Courtney, and she left a voicemail. So let's hear it. I have a question about chicken stock and stocks in general. I have always been told that to make a good stock, You put in bones, a little bit of vegetables, let it boil and simmer for a very long time. But I've never gotten an exact answer on how to tailor stock for specific dishes or even the best kind of stock to make. I started recently adding a ton of vegetables, all the vegetables, all the scraps that I've stuffed into the freezer to make stock with, and it makes a very flavorful stock, but I don't know how to tell if I'm doing the right thing. (laughs) Is it better to have stock with just bones, minimal other flavors? Or is it better to throw in all the vegetables and make it a standalone ingredient? A beautiful, infinitely complex question Mm -hmm. with infinite answers. Mm -hmm. But uh, this one really, um, yeah, piques my sort of like curiosity in terms of like what types of dishes she makes, Mm -hmm. right? Normally, what I would say is standard thinking would be keep your stock relatively neutral in flavor to the extent that you want it to be versatile in terms of how you use it. But to my mind, you can include tons of vegetables in a stock and not make it divisive in any way or create an issue later on in terms of oh, well, I put a little bit of tomato scrap in this and now it's simply not going to work. Or I put too many carrots, I put too much onion. You can, in the vegetable world, you can get away with quite a lot before they will show up in a dish later on and, you know, have you saying, oh my gosh, well, if only I hadn't put so much carrot in the stock. Mm -hmm. Where you do need to be a little bit more careful is around, um, you know, aromatics in more like the spice world. 
and in terms of salt and in terms of anything with heat, even like black pepper, you know, potentially if you used like so much of it, star anise, cinnamon, fresh ginger, these are ingredients that could be wonderful depending on the nature of the preparation you're using that stock for later on, or they might show up and be very unwelcome. You know, if you were just trying to make just like, I don't know, you know, just like chicken cacciatore, it might feel weird if there was star anise flavor, that kind of like licorice note hanging out in there. Actually, it doesn't even sound that bad no, to me. I think it'd be good, yeah. That would probably be good. That's a bad example. That would be freaking genius. <laughs> but but um, I'm sure we could come up with something stupid. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's right. Also, what you said about salt, I tend to try to not season my stocks with salt at all. And like let them be just the vegetables and the meats and the bones and that's it. And then the salt component is where I can, as you said, tailor or angle my stock as much stock as I need from the whole pot towards the dish that I'm trying to make ultimately. So maybe that means soy sauce as an inclusion down the line, or fish sauce, or Worcestershire, or miso, basically any salty ingredients that I want to add in, I will do that after the stock is completed with just, you know, the four cups that I need for my whatever it is. Um, And then I'll season to taste with those added ingredients that might feel a little bit more specific. And then I'll have the leftover stock unseasoned to use however I wish. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes it simply depends how much work do you want to do later on? You know, to what degree are you going to transform that stock into Mm. something completely different? You know, like braise meat in it, like a pot roast or something, right? Um, Or to what degree do you want that stock to like almost be good to go? Like just drop an egg in there and make, you know, kind of like a egg drop soup or drop a few, you know, vegetables in there and, and sort of call it a day. Um, but yeah, I think just doing the work of making stock for yourself is like already phenomenal, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of taking such full advantage of, you know, not just meat and bones and scraps of that sort, but of of your vegetables as well. Um, I mean, there's just nothing like it. And frankly, it just means there's less work to be done later on, no yeah. matter what you decide to do with it. I think your impulse to be keeping all those scraps in your freezer for your big stock moment is 100% right. I have a big bag with a label that says for stock and all my weird miscellaneous chicken bones and half onions that are almost at the end of their lives go into my freezer for stock bag and then everything gets dumped into the pot. I agree with Chris that I don't think there's really anything you could do vegetable-wise that would take your stock too far in a direction that you feel like it limits its use cases down the line. Occasionally fennel. Oh, fennel. Fennel, I, you know, sometimes I'm like, yeah, I want you. I see you. I love you. Sometimes I'm like, oh, not just that. like too much. See, I, I love fennel so much that I never have any leftover like to put in my stock bag because I just eat it <laughs> constantly. <laughs> I love it so much. We're going to take one more break. When we get back, one last question, and it's beefy. Hey, listeners, Chris Morocco here. 
If you find yourself in a dinner crisis, the Epicurious app comes to the rescue. Not only will you unlock over 50,000 recipes from Bon Appetit and Epicurious, but you'll also receive daily personalized recommendations based on your unique preferences and dietary needs. Head to the Apple App Store and download the Epicurious app to kickstart your seven-day free trial today. Don't miss out on this culinary adventure. Start your free trial and let the Epicurious app be your kitchen hero. Happy cooking. Okay, Kendra, we've got one last question. Do you want to read it for us? Okay, this is from Savannah. I need help. This is in all caps. All the beef I make tastes like pot roast, and it is driving me crazy. I do not understand what I'm doing wrong. I don't make beef a lot, but when I make any sort of shredded beef slash cubed beef dish at home, to me, it just all tastes like pot roast. I've tried different cooking methods, cuts of meat, and recipes, so I think the problem is me. Any tips or recipes you could shoot my way would be great. Thanks. Okay, Kendra, do you think when she says a shredded beef— or cubed beef mm-hmm. dish. Mm-hmm. Shredded beef, meaning just kind of braised to tenderness and sort of pulled apart. Correct. Like sort of rope of vieja or something. Uh, Whereas like cubed beef, meaning like a cube steak. I think she means like chuck roast chuck. that you cut into cubes before beef you stew. braise it into beef stew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is, is pot roast delicious? Yes. It is, right? Yes. Isn't pot roast just delicious? Yes. So many different thoughts happening here. Okay, one, you know, I'd love to offer an alternative theory that Savannah is quietly killing it and making everything taste full-on delicious Mm -hmm. and super rich and Mm -hmm. satisfying. Mm -hmm. And she's coaxing greatness out of even the most humble cuts of Chuck. Yeah. But that said— Here's the thing, like, beef is a very strong flavor. Mm -hmm. And not in the way that lamb is. Lamb has that grassy kind of high note that kind of, like, pervades to one degree or another, depending on, you know, the specifics of the animal Mm -hmm. and where it was raised. Beef... It's it's beefy. I mean, it's like it's very bovine. It's very animal. It's earthy. It's rank. It's funky, but it's like satisfying. It's primal. I mean, it's all of these things, right? But it takes a certain amount of flavor to get beyond that. Yes. Right? Yes. Like you just did beef stew yes, as I, like meatball as soup. Meatballs, yes. And so that was what I was going to ask is like, Though you're trying different recipes, is the central flavor thrust red wine and onions and garlic and, like, a woodsy herb Mm -hmm. in, like, maybe mushrooms or carrots or, like, whatever? And if that's the case, then it makes sense that you feel that ultimately you're ending with the same thing. And so my— suggestion would be to go in a completely different flavor direction. Right, I have developed a recipe that— uses pork, but you could use a stewy beef in lieu of the pork and get a similar result, which is this, like, citrus-braised number. Mm. It's got orange juice and soy sauce and ginger and mirin, a little bit of brown sugar and red pepper flakes. And I think you could give your beef that, like, orange beefy kind of flavor and that with soy, and that would feel distinctly separate from 
pot roast world? If you're looking for a way to bridge out of pot roast but not leave it behind entirely, I fully agree with what Kendra was just saying. I think you need to sort of play up some flavors that put you out in front Mm. of that just sort of baseline beefiness, right? And I think one recipe that my brain went right to is from March 2019 from Soey Kim. It's the red wine and soy braised short ribs. Mm -hmm. Because it just showcases what soy can do in terms of it's giving you this like really rich and fulfilling kind of umami packed experience, but it's giving you something very different from how pot roast gives it to you. Yeah. But it still has the red wine, which is unconventional. And that was the whole thing about Zoe's approach. And this is a riff on Kalbi Jim in this very kind of celebratory Korean dish in which you would not normally find red wine. But she's kind of bridging that gap. Mm. And I think it's it's fascinating how it kind of can sit across both worlds. Totally. Um, so, but yeah, I would I would look to those things. Hannah just did the oyster sauce braised brisket. Yeah, yum. Big yum, big, so good. biggest yum. I was also thinking like a big, uh, like, t- go all the way towards tomato. Like if it was really like, like a ragu type of vibe, but with your beef. Like could Ooh. you make something that you would want to put on pasta and maybe like Calabrian chili? Like do like some spicy tomato-y brazy yeah. beef moment and you could even keep wine in there too, and that that could feel distinct from pot roast. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. That's a great one. You know what else? Here's what you Google. Ready? You Google Bon Appetit, coconut and lemongrass braised short ribs. These are so good. And it might not be the usual cut of beef that you're working with, but it's worth it to branch out, I think, and try some other. You said you've tried other cuts of beef. Potentially in your experimentation, you've tried short ribs. These ones are so good. They're bone in and with the coconut milk, a little bit of fish sauce, a little bit of lime. There's turmeric in there. There's some Thai chilies. This is so good such that our coworker Z, like, asks pretty much monthly for Rachel to make this for her. It's for fun. Just all the time. When it was her birthday, they were like, you really got to do it now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so delicious. Um, and this is definitely, like, texturally giving you beef stew and that it's, like, thick and stewy and homey and you want it over a rice and the beef is shreddy, but it is nowhere in the same neighborhood flavor-wise. Yeah. Well, and and that gave me the thought, well, you know, maybe we don't even braise it at all. Mm. Maybe, so this, my brain went to this recipe I did years ago from 2016. Ooh, Gosh, that's TBT. a shocking amount of time. Coconut marinated short rib kebabs oh. with peanut chili oil. Marinating Yum. short rib in coconut milk and aromatics and then just grilling it. Wow. I mean, you almost by default can't be in the pot roast space, yeah. you know, when you're just kind of like straight up grilling, you know, short rib like that. Totally. And this chili oil with peanuts, I consider myself like a pretty good historian of the site. And I've never seen this recipe before in my life. It bums me out, you know, because this was a really strong kind of like how to 
be a better skewer maker. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a whole package about skewers. Mm. And just like, you know, generally speaking, Yum. don't mix your meat and your veg. Yeah. You know, put all of one thing on one skewer and yeah. just control for how that wants to be cooked rather than all just splitting the difference and putting a whole bunch of stuff on there. So yeah. there's, there's some fun takeaways here. But also, you know, just some of these like things that we normally think of as braising cuts like chuck, but like, honestly, short rib isn't that much more than chuck, and wow, is it even more flavorful. Yeah. You know, if you give it, like, a really nice marinade with a a gentle kind of tenderizing effect like coconut milk, oh, wow. The way it grills up, it will change your life. I need you to write back, Savannah, try one of these things, and will you get back to us? Because, like, now we're involved, we're invested, and we need to know. And we're literally going to stand by. We'll never leave the podcast studio until we hear back from you. We'll do some other things in the interim, (laughs) but, like, we're standing by, just generally speaking. If you have a dinner emergency or just a quick question, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com. Or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. You can find the recipes featured on today's episode, plus the rest of the Bon Appetit recipe archive on the new Epicurious app, brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. They're also linked in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Dinner SOS is a Condé Nast Entertainment original podcast. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co-host this week is Kendra Vaculin. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Leah Kasher is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our engineer. Thanks to Jason Sill for production support. I, know, I wasn't I love going it. anywhere with that. I was just like, Kendra, I'm going to stall for time until I think for of two minutes until Kendra like really kind of comes in hot here. And I did think of something. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hillary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast, a weekly television podcast that obsesses over all things TV. Chris, Hillary, and I are at your service to recap and analyze the best that's out there and what you should be watching. Plus, we're talking to the stars and showrunners about how exactly it all got made. New episodes of Still Watching drop weekly wherever you listen to podcasts.